Welcome to Design Thinking Games, a fantasy and user experience podcast. Each episode, your podcast hosts, Tim Broadwater and Michael Schofield, will examine the player experience of board games, pen and paper role-playing games, live action games, mobile games, and video games. You can find every episode, including this one, on your podcatcher of choice and on the web at designthinkinggames.com. On our first episode, I think, you mentioned something that I thought was, um, I don't know, it kind of uh, caught my attention and really really piqued my interest. You'd mentioned a game uh, that, early in your life you like gave you the options for i think the first time for you to really identify with a specific character you specifically had sort of a a lilt in your voice about i don't know around that kind of that that identity aspect this this idea that in games um you can become or at least see yourself represented i really wanted to explore this idea with you about gaming and identity and i'm curious you know when you you probably don't remember because you know we don't talk about these uh we try to keep a little bit of mystery between between episodes so you probably don't remember the exact case uh or thing you were talking about at the time but i'm i want to hear you i want to hear you talk about this i want to i want to hear why this why to me like why i interpreted this as being something that was that seemed like really important to you i guess when i kind of think about it the type of games that I love or, or gravitate towards, uh, let's say that, um, are games to where I think I can bring something to, like something creative to it. It's important, you know, kind of for me to um, not just have an enjoyable game that's fun to play, you know, but what I love and about games that I seem to like uh, really gravitate towards is when it allows me to do um it allows me to bring create and and bring strategy kind of into the game and make my own thing right um and i think the game that you're specifically talking about was hero quest and i was like that was the first board game that i ever played that is like the training wheels version of dungeons and dragons right right like it like D and D is super <laughs> difficult. It has a high learning curve. Um, it is a lot, right? Um, but it was the first way that I kind of got a, um, uh, I guess, a taste or exposure to like, hey, this is what being a game master is like, or a dungeon master, right? Um, and it gives you kind of guidelines that you can follow, and then different scenarios that are triggered by different. Um, antecedents or, or like triggers or you know and then the game can go kind of multiple ways um, I believe it was Hero Crest um, is that correct? That rings true is it more what about like the aspect of creating a character that you 
inhabit, whether it's like Hero Quest, D and D, Dragon Age, like how important is that to you? I guess what's very important to me is total creativity and and kind of control within parameters, right? Um, so like. I guess what it makes me think of is like, you know, Heroes Quest gave you parameters. He's like, here's all the minis, here's the maps, kind of here's the stories and the techniques and the spells and stuff. And you can kind of create your own stories, right? And that's, you know, that's cool. Um, with um, Dungeons and Dragons, um, I can choose my race and my classes and my feats and then build out something unique that is. Um, you know, for me. So I have a character, let's say, in, in Pathfinder First Pathfinder Society First Edition, who's literally um, a uh, a gnome who is a summoner, and she rides her her summon into battle, and she has a lance. You know, and that's something that I can customize and specifically build to where it's like, hey, I kind of want, you know my summoner to be kind of work with their their summon or their pet or whatever right and and so in that regards i was like okay so i'm gonna make her ride skills really well so she can like dodge attacks easily from the saddle i'm going to make her sacrifice her feats so she can give feats to her summon uh, you know it's just a system that has parameters that mm -hmm. lets me kind of customize a build or a trick or a gimmick or a strategy right um and that i mean that's more like the tabletop swerve i guess on it but for me i guess that's what i like about pokemon and <laughs> magic the and magic the gathering right is that in pokemon i can build a a bear team or i can build a poison team or i can build a you know uh i have a team in pokemon and i've been playing pokemon since gen one and the video game not the card game not <laughs> any, not any of the spin-off crap games but legit pokemon and i've been transferring my pokemon from like game boy to game boy advance to ds to 3ds to switch and and i have the pokemon bank you know which is i think called pokemon home now and i pay a yearly fee to to house all my pokemon because I have a three evolution um, bird team that's named after <laughs> Decepticons. <laughs> so that are literally named after like jet Decepticons from Gen 1. So like um, Skywarp and Thundercracker and you know, and like all oh these kind of, And so I can go online and be like, I built this team five years ago and I can still battle today. And I guess it's the same with like Magic the Gathering. like. Yes, in tournament play, you're limited to type 2 or type 1, which mm -hmm. is like just the last two expansions, right? But essentially, Magic the Gathering, the appeal is is that you're a wizard, you're building your spell book yeah. however you want. The deck, or like the the deck building, card deck drafting, whatever I mean, whatever you want to call it, strategy, is like you're bringing a spell book into battle. What do you want it to be? And so I still have decks that are my favorite decks that I fine-tuned played against people in love and they're not legal for type 2 play you know in tournaments but for friends who play like hey all magic generations work um, I have a, a I have a flying city spell book that literally lets me summon walls make them fly and make them attack 
yeah, and, and it keeps going. I can name like tons of games that I gravitate gravitate to or like enjoy, but it's that. It lets me I can quickly understand the mechanics, understand the fair battlefield or the playground, I guess, and the fair physics and balance. Um, and then I can work within that system, right, within those parameters to make my own thing um, and try it out. Um, so I don't know what that is necessarily. I don't know if that's like, you know, you can call it card drafting and or deck building for like magic. Um, and then when you look at Pokemon, I mean, it's just like team building and battling, but it's kind of having that, in lack of a better word, a constrained sandbox or parameter game to where I can build and create stuff. Um, and I hate Minecraft. Like, I mean, <laughs> people say like Minecraft is like, oh, it's great. You can build stuff. And I'm like, it's, it's work. I don't yeah, wanna, man, that was gonna that, be my next question. I was like, oh man, you must love Minecraft. No, I totally hate Minecraft. What What's the difference? Like, clearly there is a uh, an obvious difference between a Magic the Gathering and a Minecraft. But in the spirit of, you know, loosely defined sandbox where you can do anything, question mark? What about Minecraft doesn't appeal to you? So, like, I, I just don't want... I get that you can create your own server and you can have friends come on and you can build and you can battle or you can play the game and fight fend off dead and you can make your own hideout and cool stuff. And it's like this creative space you log on to that's kind of like a clubhouse or what a mm -hmm. lot of people now use with the Oculus and PlayStation VR, like a VR chat. Um, it's like a social hangout thing. And, and I'm not about that, I guess. Like, I'm here to, like, kick ass, or, like, I have a purpose. <laughs> I want to destroy the other player, or I'm, you know, in my, in my, I have a background that comes from fighting games. I love, like, Street Fighter and Eternal Champions and Mortal Kombat, and, and we talked about that in previous episodes. Um, so, it's, I guess, it's also the layer of competition or, or that competitiveness added to it, right? That makes sense. So, having that with... Magic the Gathering, you're fighting another wizard or multiple wizards. Um, with Pokemon, you're fighting another Pokemon trainer. Um, even if you applied it to an MMORPG, like one of my favorite MMORPGs, and I will say is the best superhero MMORPG um, that was ever created, uh, was City of Heroes. And what was phenomenal about City of Heroes is that you had more than any game I've ever known in the history of gaming, 100% control over your costume and, and everything. And then you had customizable powers. You like basically could get like a power set, but you can make it look like whatever you want. Oh, awesome. And so essentially with the combination of your costume, writing your bio and your backstory, which people can see when they click on you in the, in the game, and being able to customize your powers, you literally could make Wolverine. You can make, you could make Avatar, The Last Airbender, or you can make your own thing. And so, what I loved about that is that um, the story connects to the costume, which connects to the power, which is completely customizable. And so, when you're in the game and you see someone who's like created something really cool and unique, and it's awesome. Um, there's like kind of respect there. The same thing with, you know, characters in tabletop role-playing games or Pokemon teams, or even like when we talked about um, 
games to where you can control your costumes and build out custom perks and make your characters have combos to where like my character can heal but they can also hide or you know I, I like that kind of that customization because um, it lets me bring um, not just my creativity but strategy and, and test out things to it if that makes sense what is the role of performance as applied to this customization the what you're describing to me is that you have complete control in which to demonstrate to other players whether that's like whooping their ass or or showing off um the character that you built is is it this do you do you have like the same feelings in the case of something that's not player versus player or player with player, but like player versus world, something like a, uh, I don't know, a Red Dead Redemption where you have a huge sandbox, except you're not building your own character really, and there's nothing performative about it. You are just existing in the sandbox. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so I don't care if it's collaborative or competitive. Um in that regards, um, I do like playing with other people. Mm -hmm. Like the board games that I gravitate to the most are quick startup tabletop board games that are collaborative to where we're all working together to get a goal or we all die, which right. is, you know, kind of like, um, uh, there's a bunch of games out there, sure. um, like castle defender, or, um, there's also, you know, kind of, forbidden desert or forbidden island where sure. you're all trying to get off the island before it sinks or and so but i can't customize or be creative about what i bring to the table ah uh, yeah so what i would like is hey if we're competing against each other or we're you know collaborating together that's fine um I think you need the other people, of course, and, and that's something I, I'm not much into solo games, unless it's just like, hey, this is a complete open world thing. You can sink hours into it and just explore and have fun, which is like Zelda: Breath of the Wild, sure. or Ghost of Tsushima, or Mad Max. You know what I mean? It's just like, hey, I'm, it's not meant to be played with anyone else. It's just you're logging into a completely open world and and doing that. And I like those games. Um, but I love the games that allow me to creatively build and, and strategize um, my character or monster or team or, or whatever and then compete against other players or collaborate with other players to accomplish large goals, you know, or, or stuff like that. Yeah, it's fundamentally social. And you also know that these other players can also, they also have the exact same powers of customization the same choices for the most part and so monster hunter is very much like this because monster hunter allows has so many weapons and so many sets of armor and then you can give yourself abilities and, and you can also build decorations and charms that you put on your armor that give you special effects and so you could really make yourself like I'm going to make my armor, my weapons, and my effects or charms or decorations all make me max damage so I can just do more damage <laughs> than anyone else. Or you can make them to where, oh, well, status effects don't affect me or don't stick to me, so I never get knocked unconscious or I never get dizzy or I never, you know, and 
that's that open system that operates in the same parameters in which we all kind of the laws that we obey um, uh, that that I enjoy and I don't actually know if there's a gaming term for it I, this is me my naivety or ignorance here to where I don't know you know I know what deck building is so I can apply it to there and then but I don't know like custom battle arenas or MOBAs or, or what they're yeah. referred to yeah that's interesting we legit just had a discussion yesterday afternoon at work where one of our like early users expressed interest in being able to customize something like it doesn't matter what right the idea is that like there are a number of like objects or models within this within any kind of like software as a service and in this case this you know, these folks are, we have a lot of research that shows like, hey, they want to do this with that or that with that. I had another experience um, where I'm using this uh, because this is this is a one hand a UX podcast. I'm using this tool that uh, like that we're kind of a tester for called UpFocus. And it's just a place to manage feedback. And I just got emailed earlier today questioning why we're not using such and such features and why we are in fact using the features that we are using in a very specific way you can't or maybe you shouldn't or you should like in in the design of a thing you should assume that people want to use it however they want the job to be done might be um you know catalog catalog some research but the approach to how that job is completed is either really constrained, which is the use case, I think, for like most apps, like the workflow is built in and you do this and this and this, and that's that's what it is. But there's an opportunity that I had, hadn't been thinking about until yesterday, honestly, um, and that was reinforced by this email I got from UpFocus this morning, that that doesn't have to be the case like can how how might we design for a wide variety of customization why are the constraints that we designed into like the first build of a thing even present are they necessary are they technical constraints and we admitted that they weren't i don't know what the term for this is either it's, it's some sort of like degree of like wiggle room right within the use of a a service whether that service is a game uh that you're experiencing or some sort of some sort of some sort of like tool so this this tool you're talking about up focus is that the name of it yeah yeah does it allow people to request features and vote on them is that how it works yeah exactly and so and so that's what i did i i was like hey we're using this tool in this way that you did not expect can we have features that allow us, I think, diverge from the original design um, <laughs> more. I don't know. It's kind of like a it's, it's sort of like a user experience version of that Muhammad Ali uh, quote that you know your best plans, all plans are out the window when you get punched in the face or something like that. Um, yeah. And there's something about the deliberate design. Of I imagine a game, but uh, you know, kind of in our world, an app or some other digital service, where 
you either assume in the build that people are going to use it exactly as you intend or you don't and i think the former is the default so this like i've always been in awe of these games that are fundamentally creative and co-creative because um yeah, it's funny. The lack of vocabulary to describe that kind of openness is huge, but I imagine there has to be some industry terms for that because, you know, they're not going to do anything for the most part that allows you to break the games. There are real deliberate design decisions behind letting you customize the powers in City of Heroes, right? Or something like that in a way that keeps it fair and equitable and technologically feasible. And that is a design that is a style of design that is suddenly really interesting to me. And to your point, I don't know how to talk about it. Yeah, you know, you know what this makes me think of? You know, I've, I've worked for years now in um, enterprise software applications, right? And one of the things that we dealt with years ago, um, and we still, to some degree, you know, deal with when we are designing... Um, you know, for these giant, you know, enterprise software applications. I mean, essentially, and all giant enterprise software applications are dashboards and tables. That's literally it. <laughs> now you're crudding, like off the tables and searching the tables and stuff. You know what I mean? But it's essentially dashboards and and tables. That's every single enterprise software application. Um, and the thing that we encountered a lot of the times is that when we would bring here's a marketing person, here's a business analyst, here's a subject matter expert, here's an end user, a dev, whoever, and or CEO of the company, we brought them into meetings. Um, they would all argue about like what columns of these tables are relevant to them and what they need. And it's like an operator will use this. And it's like, well, yeah, but a, a mechanic will never use it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, well, the accountant needs this. And it's just like, yeah, but no operator would ever use that. And so here's, it's, um, so I guess something that we implemented, and now we kind of do it all the time um, for any kind of software enterprise applications we work on, is that for... Because I think we think it's it's also kind of expected from any user, exactly like what you're saying, that there is this level of wiggle room or customization that you know in every user kind of expects there to be in the UI. Um, that every table has a pattern that has a gear on it in the top right, essentially, and that when you click on that gear, you just get a flyout of a bunch of things mm -hmm. that have checkboxes on them and those checkboxes literally are the columns yeah you know so you can turn on and turn off whatever columns you want or you can drag and the columns to reorder them it sounds so small and easy and not a big thing but i can tell you I can't tell you how many <laughs> meetings I've been in to where we're just like, we have to be able to fit all 14 columns on the, on the screen. <laughs> and it's just like, well, I don't know what devices your users have, but unless they have a monitor that is 3,000 pixels wide, they're not going to get it. And it's like, well, we need to make the font smaller then, or we need to shrink it. And it's just like, uh, you know, that's uh, in, in what we're basically 
I, what the user expect you know expectation is now is that there is baked into every application web app you know um, enterprise software application that you have these like customization the basic lowest level of customization and wiggle room that you can afford to your end user right so um, turning on or turning off column rows or reorganizing column rows and they only say this is because this is something that kind of always at least once or twice a year comes up and then we always just now say like oh we have a gear we've just put it on here that we use this pattern from like bootstrap or, or you know or material or whatever so you the user can turn on and turn off the columns as they want is that good okay then we can proceed you know <laughs> so, and that diffuses that conversation Eventually, that degree of customization becomes some sort of like convention if it's applied everywhere else, right? So, uh, your idea, like what you guys do with the tables, is frankly like fascinating. I'm gonna steal it because we don't do that with ours, <laughs> but it's such a great idea. But it's probably just because it hasn't become convention to this point in the way that I don't know being able to skin your character in a video game is right it's mm -hmm. it's almost weird that if you have any kind of avatar in a game that you can't dress them uh, a certain way we're not talking about personalization and in, in in the biz that is something different it's usually the personalization of data you put your finger right on it actually there's a, the word is customization versus personalization yeah that's what it is i can make my in any video game most video games will let you say, okay, at the beginning, you're making your character. Before you give them a name, you can customize what the avatar looks like, right? Skin color, hairstyle, clothes, whatever, how wide their nose is, how, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I will say out there for bald bearded men like myself, there's not a lot of options in most games. Because <laughs> so, I want to make bald bearded men, and they don't ever let you do that in Pokemon. It's, you always have to be young or, and have... Anyways, yeah, that's a total side gripe right there. Your spiky hair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, no, I would rather have bald and a nice beard instead of face tattoos or blue hair. You know, so, you know, because I, yeah. I want to see myself, you know, but that is personalization, right? Mm -hmm. um, that is not customization. And I think if we kind of look at customization as applied to games, we've now reached a time where I think everyone, it doesn't matter what the app is, the web app enterprise software application, native app, whatever, um, everyone expects a light and dark mode now. Just because everyone has different preferences and time at times a day, depending on light, you know, you want to see, um, oh, this would be better with a black background and, and lighter text, or this yeah. is better with a light background. And, and, and I've, I've, I've noticed that that, um, you know, kind of customization is something that people want. Um, and all the time now, it's just, and I think it's because browsers are doing it. Your phone does it. Um, Google Maps does it automatically, but you can toggle back and forth because it actually does it, you know, based on the sunset, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and your phone does it based on the light and availability. Another customization that I think from the game side is, and I, I mentioned Monster Hunter because I know that it does this, but because um, Monster Hunter Rise just came out and I'm kind of cracked up and playing on it all the time right now. But in general, in all the Monster Hunters, and this is something that you may be familiar with, I can customize my HUD. 
I can move around where my health bar is. I can mm-hmm. move around where my map is. I can turn things on my HUD on and off, or I can move them. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of games are starting to move to because they realize that, hey, I don't need the map, or I don't want, I don't want it, or I want a minimum, minimal experience. Or there are certain, in gaming, I think more so than the software side. Um, they've embraced customization, um, and now it's kind of an expectation that I think it's kind of bleeding over into apps, web apps, enterprise software applications. Are we perhaps talking about something that we might call context customization, being the ability to tailor an interface for context? And that context is sometimes external, the time of day, or occupational. I am an operator, not an accountant, or I have many windows on my screen, many tabs open, many whatever. And we're not talking about like a, because And it's to differentiate from personalization, which is I want to see myself in experience. I want, I want your newsletter to greet me with, hi, Michael, um, or I want this character to uh, be bald and bearded like both of us. <laughs> and, um, but what, we, what we're customizing and allowing for and designing for is context. What do you think? Yeah, I think, um, I guess that makes me think of a couple things. I think um, it's already there. It's already out there because frameworks have it, right? And so um, Bootstrap already has built into it a light and dark theme, right? That lets you, whenever you're building your web app or your website or whatever, you can just kind Mm -hmm. of toggle them back and forth. Um, they have that built into the framework. Um, a lot of work that we um, build in my nine to five is um, they have to work in command center mode. Command center mode being like this needs to work on multiple screens, multiple monitors. And so one of the frameworks that we use a lot or adapt or or kind of um, uh, there's many frameworks that do this. Don't get me wrong, but Golden Layout is one. I'm not sure if you ever, if anyone has like checked out the Golden Layout framework, but the Golden Layout framework lets you um, completely customize your UI, drag and drop, stack. It treats everything like tabs. I can pop out those tabs into new windows onto different monitors. I can pop out a group of tabs onto a new monitor. Wow! Um, and I can pop them back in. Yeah, it's, it's pretty slick. It's a pretty slick, you know, kind of framework. And so I think, you know, I can say that the need is already there and we're working with it. And the sign is, is that if the frameworks are already supporting it already, then that means that the demand is there, um, if that makes sense. And I definitely think that it is context because someone who is running a hospital command center where they need, like, they have 20 monitors, right? And they have, I need video feed on the parking lot. So when the ambulances arrive and on the life flight chopper Mm -hmm. as it flies someone in. But I also need a screen that shows bed boards, that shows how many people um, are currently in our ER and how many people are waiting for OR. And then we can move them around. And and when, okay, now we have a bed on the floor that's freed up. So we can move someone from ER to, you know, normal. I mean, 
that's a command center, you know, and that requires multiple screens. Um, and so, yeah, I think it is kind of context. It's like people need screens, people need controls, people need that wiggle room to configure what they need. Um, and where I know we talked in a previous episode about being pissed off with games don't let you invert your y-axis. Um, uh, I, I think that's just you're shooting yourself in the foot, you know, kind of at this point if you're not, because everyone's kind of expecting that contextual customization. Yeah, and to your point, um, this sort of context customization is also probably fundamentally interwoven with designing for inclusivity, right? So the context perhaps being personal, right? Uh, something to do with your abilities at the time the in as much as occupational and i think you're right i think the the expectations either for gamers or users of the internet is one where your ability to customize your context is is what what was i saying yeah that that expectation there is growing this is a, you know, this is a snowball essentially from, you know, I think almost 10 years ago, if not more, you know, the advent of responsive design, right? Where it's, de- you are designing responsively for the context of the person's screen size. And now that has just dovetailed into all sorts of other contexts. It's this kind of like unspoken awareness that the the user experience is, does not happen inside a bubble. It is impressed upon from all sorts of different aspects of an ecosystem. Whether that ecosystem is in, like involves something that you were born with or a job that you are employed in doing um, or or whatever it requires that ability to adapt the tool that you've decided to use to shifting context. And those contexts may actually even change throughout the period of a day or an hour. Maybe you're in command center mode for X reason for a little bit, and then you have to walk away and use it again on your phone, right? There are things like this that are fundamentally very interesting. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I remember like the, when response... (laughs) R-E-S-S, um, responsive server-side, or just responsive web design, RWD, you know, <laughs> kind of came around. And it was like, oh, no, all the, this is totally affecting the web, and everything will change based on this. And now when I look at, like, oh, it works on different squares, okay. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it was, okay, so now what about if it's light or dark? What if it needs to be on 14 squares? You know, what if it needs to be um, the user needs to adjust this widget or adjust this mm-hmm. view? Because uh, that seemed to be, like, such a big deal back in, like, uh, 2008 to 2010, right? And, and now it's just, like, uh, the expectation is more. It needs to work with people and work for them. Command center mode. I never heard about that before. That is fascinating. I'm going to use this term. Thank you for listening to the Design Thinking Games podcast. To connect with your hosts, Michael or Tim, please go to designthinkinggames.com where you can request topics, ask questions, or see what else is going on. Until next time, game on.